You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, folks, today we have Andrea Foley on the show with Generational Wealth Capital. We're going to focus today on their strategy of converting old busted hotels in good areas to low-income multifamily housing. It's a fantastic product, and really the focus becomes A, scoping the project properly, and B, setting it up for your target clientele. So we're going to dive into a lot of the nuts and bolts on that and why this group has been successful with this particular multifamily redevelopment play. We're also going to touch on their car wash franchising strategy, which is a super unique, high cash flow, low basis play. Um, And at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about an amazing podcast they're launching called Raise Millionaires that is really targeted towards building financial acumen in children. They actually have their kids on the show and you hear the kids comprehending some of the things that they're talking about. Super interesting. So before we get to the show, if you get any value out of the show, folks, pay it forward. This episode, any other one, five-star review, thoughtful comment, share it with a friend. The only way to spread the word of the show is for you to take action and pay it forward and share it and review. If you're on YouTube, you can like us or subscribe to the channel there as well. And folks, if you want to be on the show, I love doing these interviews, thequattroway.com slash podcast. You can apply there. You'll see some quick tips and tricks about how to record on the show, but I'd love to have you. If you want to recommend a topic, we love to go through those and actually structure our episodes around these topics. Email us at podcast at thequattroway.com. We'd love to hear from you. And folks, we're always running investment opportunities of ourselves. You're welcome to check us out at thequattroway.com slash invest. Start the conversation and we'll start building a relationship so you can get access to our private offerings. So that being said, let's get right into the show. I'm so excited to introduce Andrea Foley to the show. All right, all right, all right, Real Estate Runway family. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. This is your captain speaking, and we're taking off on a fantastic episode today. We're going to be talking with Andrea Foley of Generational Wealth Capital about car washes and hotel conversions, and we're even going to touch on an amazing podcast that she's running today. So Andrea, welcome to the show. It's been a long time coming. How are you doing, dear? Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat you up today. Yeah. And Andrea's laughing a little bit because she just watched the first two takes where I failed miserably on the intro. This is what real podcasting is like, folks. So here we are. But Andrea, before we get into the meat of the episode, I want to hear about you a little bit. So tell me about your journey, how you got to where you are today, and all the reasons you're awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so many. No. We, I'm setting the bar um, high, girl. I'm setting right, it high. Right? We, let's see. In real estate, I'm the daughter of a general contractor. So grew up in construction. And real estate, my dad went from being a framer to being a custom home builder. So just his journey, I got to live through both entrepreneurship and highs and lows and all of that. So always loved real estate my whole life. Started my own business at 25 after college. I actually started by washing other people's poopy diapers. So I grew a diaper service from just an obscure niche all the way up to a double market with uh, multiple location retail boutique focused on natural living parenting. So that was my passion. Actually sold that business a year ago, but in the interim as a side hustle, have done real estate as well since 2005. 
my husband and I have done live-in flips. We built up a single-family rental portfolio. We sold that off in 2017 while my business was experiencing some adversity. And then in 2020, after recovered from being shut down as a retail location for from COVID, and we came out of that, recovered, felt like the business, I could step away again from the business. We really just wanted to get back into multifamily and or get back into real estate, we felt like multifamily was really the best way for us to go because we hadn't enjoyed owning a single family portfolios. Really, that's what led us into our first hotel conversion because as you may know, it is challenging to just go out and buy a multifamily property on your own. So had started looking into some six plexes, things like that, smaller properties. We ended up finding this hotel. I, I because of COVID and it had hit, we were like, well, there's going to be all these mom and pop opportunities, hotels that aren't run well, can't survive after all of this. And so that's what spurred the interest in looking into it. And then found one out of state that just seemed too good to be true. And to date, it mostly has been two years later, two years in. But yeah, that's that's my background real quick. I'm sure I missed a million things. I have three kids and I've been married for 18 years. It's so extensive. I love all the things you've touched. And, and I've really tried so hard not to make a joke about the poopy diaper business, but you know, yeah. I, like I could, I'm sure you've heard them all. But the funny thing is, guys, that, that folks listening, that's a necessity, right? At the time, that was, th there was a time when, when disposable diapers were not really mainstream, but, and that it's almost like providing food and water. Like it was a staple. People always had to have it. So I bet it was yeah. actually a pretty good business at the time. I have always battled, I had always battled with it, like fighting mainstream because it was cloth diapers. So not, it was a big education component to explain to people why to even consider it for them to then consider it and then sell them the service. So it wasn't just selling. It wasn't as easy as that. So yeah, you had to build it, the client was, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was always a challenge, but it was a labor of love for sure. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about hotel conversions for a minute and what generational wealth capital is doing there. Because folks, she mentioned multifamily and then mentioned hotel conversions and it becomes a multifamily property in the end, but it is indeed not when you purchase it. So let, let's talk a little bit about this. this uh, assume that I've never heard the term hotel conversion okay. before. I don't know what you're converting it to or why would you consider this as an investment? And what in your mind, what is the steps of, okay, I'm going to buy the thing, do this to it. And then it's going to do this for me. Let's talk yeah. through that a little bit. Yeah, there is an affordable housing crisis in the United States and probably worldwide, but obviously we're focused on the United States. So when we look at hotel conversions and when we look at affordability, there's certain things that you have to give up in order to make something affordable for someone. And so for us, we feel like size is the easiest thing. So it either has to be cheaper than everything else around you, smaller than everything else around you, or just a lower quality in a bad neighborhood. Like those are your, if you're choosing affordability, those are the factors that you have to weigh. And if I'm, let's say, a single mom working a minimum wage job, I don't want to be in a bad neighborhood. I want my kids to go to a better school. I want to be able to be close to my job and walk and still have the surety that I'm safe at night. So class D rentals do not necessarily appeal to me 
especially being a woman and and our having our single family portfolio was class D. So we've experienced that and it wasn't really something we wanted to do again. And so we were like, how can we take something and make it more class B, maybe low class B or high class D and um, still make it affordable? And really, that's where a hotel conversion comes into play because yes, these units are small. We, in in our business plan and in our vision, we really want them to be 300 to 600 square foot. And, and the bigger ones, we'll say at that 600 range, you're talking closer to a normal multifamily property, but you are going to come across these 300 square foot ones, which it sounds really small. And, and the key takeaway here is like you don't have to live in it yourself or want or picture your family of five living in this unit to know that there are so many people out there that need what you're offering. So it's just fulfilling that need in the market where we've had a waiting list since the day we've opened of people ready to live in this property. And these units are 350 to 450 square foot um, for our first one. And um, most of them are studios. So when you're someone that works a lower wage job, maybe minimum wage up to 80% adjusted gross income or uh, average median income, like you're, you're not as picky about the size of your property. And I, I think that's where a lot of people get hung up is on the size. But if you have a safe, brand new place to live and it's affordable, meaning you could go live in a dumpy one that costs $200 more a month that's bigger, or you could live in this smaller one that's all brand new in a great part of town. I just, we've experienced, you will choose the smaller size for the amenities and the class of the property over a large apartment in a, in a bad area or just completely outdated. Maybe it hasn't been touched since the 80s and it's affordable, but <laughs> you're dealing with some pretty rundown apartments. We came in to think, okay, we, we have to add all new kitchens, all new flooring because hotels have ugly, for some reason, green carpet and all. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what designer was like, yes, green, let's do that in every hotel across America, but green carpet or like dark red carpet, it's very weird. So you're tearing out all the carpet, you're adding kitchens, you have to update electrical to code. There's so many upgrades happening. It's basically a brand new apartment. So it's a lot heavier than just a turn on a standard multifamily unit. So that's where we were like, well, if we come in and the hospitality industry and the multifamily industry, they seem so connected and from my vision, but they're not from every bank perspective or even investors perspective it's amazing how different those two assets seem to everyone when in reality the structure is the same you know it's a shell of a building with different units and plumbing and electrical inside of them with windows and doors to me it was like well it's basically an apartment we just need to add kitchens and that's how we got started on this wouldn't be that hard <laughs> Having done some flips and having grown up in construction, I was like, well, that's all we have to do. And I'm a little bit of an optimist to be like, oh, well, this will be easy and we can just add some kitchens and it'll be great. And I didn't know, I was pretty on, spot on for what we estimated for construction and budgeting and everything. And so 
it did turn out to be almost as like optimistic as I put it in my head to be. So that's, that's good. Yeah, that's really how we got started. That means you had some experience in the construction estimation side, because that's really where yeah. you get in trouble, right? Is okay if you're not sure, you have to replace the plumbing or the electrical or whatever else that goes. Like you said, you're basically ripping everything out, redoing everything but the structure, in most cases, and, and especially finishes. If these, it, think about it, guys. If you have a hundred units that are not, that they don't have, they have running water, but they don't have like kitchens in there. Well, that's if you have a dishwasher run, or I don't know if you do dishwashers, but just as an example. If you have appliances running and all that sort of stuff, that's a heavier water load, a heavier electrical load, all that kind of stuff that you have to think about. And that's that's very important. But you glossed over three things that that I think you take for granted, but I want to make sure that the listeners heard. What I heard was location is super important here, right? Because you you said not less than three times, small units in a good area, small units in a good area. Because I have seen these not go well if you try to buy old motel in a tough area and then do this, you wind up with this, you wind up with this very transient crime infested problem because the lowest of the low are who wind up living there. So how important is the quality of location and proximity to other things when you're selecting your site for one of these, these projects? Well, I'll give you an example of our second one that we're currently in construction on. It's in Branson, Missouri, which is like an entertainment, family entertainment mecca of the Midwest. I had never even been there, even though it's only six hours away from me. I had never even been there. I just pictured it as all these old people and going and listening to country music. I don't know, but that's not what it is at all. So if that's what you guys think for some reason, check out Branson. Check it out. (laughs) So with Branson, we found this property and it was right in the center, dead center of the strip is what they call it. So it's a 12 mile run of entertainment. And... Right behind it is like Tanger Outlet Malls, which is a big branded retail center they have them across the country. And then across the street, the other way is Walmart. When we're looking at this, I'm like, okay, for one, it's in the mecca of where everyone works because who is living at these properties? It is workforce housing. So it's, I work at Walmart. I work at the retail centers. I work at the restaurant next door, whatever it might be, not necessarily making great money. So they might not even have a car. So it needs to be near major employment drivers, but potentially even walking distance or biking distance. Because then if they truly are like struggling and and need affordability, like if they don't have a car, like this just opens up the door to, to that possibility to like I always like picture in my mind a single mom. So if she's struggling to make ends meet and she can live in this apartment with her kid or kids and walk to work, she can actually build up to one day be able to either buy her own house or get a nicer apartment. They they each have their own room or something. So this one is being... So Branson has 12,000 people that live there, which isn't a very big town. And 6,000 people work within one mile of our property. Wow. So to me, it's, well, if they can walk one mile, we're covering half of the population with where our property is located. And then in Colorado, it's a small town as well, 10,000 people. So you can see I'm not going after the big metro. MSA is trying to compete with these big, huge projects. But our property, it's a smaller property. There's only 32 units. 
It's across the street from a brand new convenience store that has like Tesla chargers and like they put $2 million into this convenience store. So it's a very nice gas station, we'll call it. And right next door to it is a regional bus station that takes people 45 minutes away twice a day to work and brings them home. And that's across the street from our property. So definitely considering, you really want to consider who is living there and it's not you, right? So it's other people and what they need and what they have access to. And that's that's the dividing factor between, is it going to be a good conversion or is it not? Like you said, if it's, in, if it's hidden away in a bad area, off the main beaten path, you're probably going to have nothing but trouble. But if it's on the main street, walking distance to either transportation or great jobs, you're going to have a higher quality tenant. That's so important. And I'm glad you really just, I lobbed you a softball there. I was hoping you crush that out of the park because that, that's really the key to making these projects work. And I, I heard that in your stories here. So the second question that I kind of go back to it and what you're describing is you mentioned aligning what the resident needs that's going to be living there. So whether, and I don't know if this is different between the 375 and the 600 square foot units, but what, like when I walk into one of these units, what do I see? Obviously it's probably a studio bedroom, but are you putting a full kitchen in there? Do you have laundry in there? Like, I'm, like what is the yeah. expectation? Like, how are you actually outfitting these things out as far as the, I will just say the mechanicals that go in the room? Well, and I think a lot of um, potential conversions also make the mistake of thinking that these are, need to be comparable to a class A property. So they're like, oh, di like you said earlier, dishwashers, laundry in unit, dog park. That's not these properties, right? We're not, we don't even have gyms. We like, we don't have fitness centers. We have laundry on site. And that's because typically a hotel already had a laundry room, right? Guest laundry. So we're just converting that from guest laundry to apartment community laundry. They do not have dishwashers. And part of this, and they also don't have stoves. And I will tell you why. A big piece of this um, puzzle is the electric load, like you were saying earlier, has to be dramatically increased. Well, if you increase it to a certain point, you have to get a new transformer even. It's not just as simple as, oh, you add some breakers and you could potentially out wattage your entire property from what it was built for, a dishwasher needs power, an electric oven needs power. And so we keep it full-size fridge because I know having food on hand is important if you're trying to be budget conscious, right? So if you have a mini fridge, what good is that going to do you? That's, you have to go shopping every day. So full-size fridge, a convection oven that's on the countertop because they don't pull as much power as like an electric oven, full-size oven. And then a sink and cooktop. So same thing, the cooktop is a lower voltage cooktop to not pull as much electricity. Brand new luxury vinyl plank throughout the unit. Our first one, we were able to actually salvage a lot of the hotel furnishings and offer them furnished. Uh, on our second one, it was a vacant property. So we trashed everything that was there because there had been like homeless break-ins and who knows what's what's in any of that. It's about what we should draft yeah, it all. So that'll be all brand new. But yeah, the, when you go to a hotel, I think the thing that keeps these looking the most hotel-like is that the HVAC unit is in the front wall. It's the They're called P-TACs. It's a single HVAC unit in the wall. And that you see them in hotels. And so that 
that kind of keeps it looking a little hotelish. That's probably the one thing if I could change, I would, but it's usually not very cost effective to do that. So no, because yeah, I think the next best thing is a mini split or a ductless mini split, and that's like four x the cost of a P tax. Uh, that's challenging, but yeah, I hear you. So the biggest so, thing I'm taking away here, Andrea, is know your customer, right? Know who's renting these things, and yeah, what you, which I think you just heard was, hey, what location do they want to be in, right? To get the customer you're after. And what amenities do they really need? And the answer is not much, but this, if you put yourself in the shoes of a budget conscious person, what can you sacrifice and what can you not? And that's how you optimize space and of course, load and water usage and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. you're hearing all this funny because all that, the stuff you just rattled off, you have this ingrained in your mind because you grew up building things, right? So you right. like this, this would bite a lot of people in the rear end. So uh, unfortunately, when it's too late. This episode is brought to you by Agora's Investment Management Solution. Are you a GP or syndicator still using spreadsheets or an outdated investment management platform? Advance to Agora, the next step in investment management evolution. Agora's customers raise capital 40% faster and reduce operational expenses by 25%. With Agora, you can collect commitments faster, raise more capital by creating beautifully designed data rooms, public brochures, and automated subscription flows. Manage all your investor relationships efficiently with the most advanced investor CRM on the market. Delight your investors with a beautifully designed investor portal, which is fully customized to fit your brand and integrate seamlessly into your website. Distribute payments in a click directly from the platform and automatically generate and send all the reports and statements your investors need. Agora is suited for all types and all sizes of GPs or syndicators starting with an affordable $5.99 a month subscription plan. Click the link in the description to book a live demo and learn what Agora can do for your business. Agora, better investment management. So third question that I have before we move on to the next segment of the show, let's talk about operations a little bit. So in my mind, and I'm probably uneducated on this, we don't own any of these, but in my mind, these would be more management intensive, more transient, and I'm, maybe I'm missing on the location part, but are there existing management companies that operate these kind of buildings or, or do you do that in-house? Like how would one consider these operations to be more or less challenging than a conventional multifamily property? The biggest challenge that we experienced was not once it's stabilized and complete. It was actually during the construction process. Someone who's experienced with lease-up. So we do hire third-party property management because these are out of state for us. So we're obviously not doing it ourselves. But having a team that not only can get people in place and help them understand that, hey, while you're living in this new apartment, there's still construction going on on property. But then also like managing that construction component of like timelines and communicating with us and communicating with the GC. Um, hey, when is this unit going to be ready for me to lease it out? That was really the only struggle that we had operationally with our first property manager we hired. Our second one came in about midway through construction and just crushed it. She did great with that part of it. And we did expect with this first one to experience that like tr more transient, like three-month leases, maybe six-month leases. And honestly, everyone's been a 12-month lease. So it kind of surprised us more than we anticipated. We just, we were planning on obviously charging a little bit more for the shorter term leases. And we've been able to charge the full 12 month lease rate and get 12 month leases in place. That's honestly what we're expecting for our next one as well. Although in Branson, they do have a very high international 
like visa population that comes to town for anywhere from three to 10 months. So we did have to take that into consideration with our pro forma. But at the same time, we also know that the population doubles on daily from people commuting outside of town into town. And with conversations with multiple property managements and multiple people that like we'd go eat at restaurants and bars and they just talk to the people that live there. There's nowhere to live in town that's affordable. At the same time, like we really do feel like this will fill up with what we'll say locals who will sign 12 month leases. But we also did a second pro forma of more temporary short term people as well. So super interesting. So before we pivot over to what you're doing in car washes, Andrea, just give me a quick what's in it for me for the investors, right? So is this more of a equity play, cash flow play? Like when you model this as an investment opportunity, what might the investors see in this that they may not see in a conventional multifamily property? So it's not cash flow in the beginning. So it has to be a passive investor would have to be okay with not needing cash flow for a good, let's just say two years. Just plan on no return coming back to you for two years. Now that hasn't been the case with us, but it'd be a good, let's anticipate that because it is development. Let's be real. It's not just, it's not just, oh, doing a heavy value add to a, to an apartment. Like it's, you're redeveloping an entire property. So if you compare it to development, it's very similar. You have to wait for the build to be done and then you make your money. So it's similar to that. Our first one, we actually were able to start distribution six months after we took it over, six months after we bought it. And our second one, we're anticipating about 12 months before we can start offering distributions. And that's more even holding back reserves and distributions, holding distributions to make sure that our construction budget is going to plan um, and not doing distributions until we feel confident that our construction budget is on track. So that's a big component to this. The equity multiple is a huge component to this. So two things, once construction's done and then we can refinance, that's really where the majority of the return can come from. And so we haven't refinanced our first property, but we are all in for 1.1 because it's only 32 units. So 1.1 between construction and purchase price and it appraised at 2.65. So if we decided to do like a 75% cash out, like our investors would make, I don't even know, like a 5X multiple and what they put in. But we're just like right now we're just cash flowing it. So we're just, we're leaving it at our low basis and we're just cash flowing because that's where we're all at and what we all want. Um, On our next one, same thing. We'll probably not refi and just hold it for a longer period of time and have that higher cash flow. It really depends on the operator and what they want to do. If they want to cash out refi and really get everybody out of it or at least a bigger return and then stay in it. But our goal is high cash flows for a long period of time. And that's why we did, as a segue into what we're going to talk about now with car washes, why we got into wanting to start this business because these do take a long time and they're not cash flow up front. So to put in like our Branson project, we've put in a year of time, like we've almost owned it for a year or from the time we like made our offer on it. And we haven't made a single dime as the operator, not only as an investor, but we're still waiting to close on our construction loan to to even get an acquisition fee. There's been zero dollars. <laughs> Just time and money put in and and zero returns. That's where we're like, well, we need something more consistent. And that's why we're getting into the car wash industry. 
We might as well hire you as the host of the podcast because you did the segue for me, Andrea. So let's go right into this perfect segue. So let's go into that though. So let's talk about what are, what y'all are doing in the car wash space and why. Because yeah. I think that's the that's the next pond y'all are going to be playing in. Well, touching back to my retail experience, I when I pivoted my business in 2007 and we we went from a natural baby boutique to a kids consignment store, and that's a whole nother story. But when we did that, I decided in 2019 that I wanted to franchise that concept. So I was working on that, getting everything set up to franchise that business. And then COVID-19 or COVID-19 hit 2020. Obviously, we just put a pause on that. And when we rebounded and got back to it, I was so in love with real estate at that point and had fallen out of love because this pivot was not my original passion, right? So I, my original passion, my original drive was like gone, like helping parents raise their children more naturally. That was my passion. And that was taken from me. And then having, keeping a business and keeping it alive and growing it, it was great, but it wasn't what I was passionate about anymore. Just reselling kids clothes. So I, when I really dug deep and decided to evaluate if I did want to franchise it, I just came to the conclusion I'd rather spend all my time and energy on real estate because I was just, I love it so much. And so that's my piece of the puzzle to this as to why we're moving this way. And then the biggest piece of this puzzle is the fact that my husband's been in the car wash industry doing this for other people for 10 years. That helps. That's his (laughs) full-time job. Yeah. So full-time, he is a car wash specialist. He helps other people open car washes and completely build ground up, completely outfit their business with everything they need, service them beyond the sale, all of that. That's what he's been doing for 10 years. And so combined with his experience and my experience, it just seems like a perfect little baby for us to have. And we now have plenty of investors that believe in us, know that we will make things happen in the multifamily world. So they're excited about the potential of higher cash flows much quicker in this different asset class. I love that. And man, I'd love to dive into this so much more. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to give one more question. This, then we got to get to the quattro questions. But yeah. the just quickly tell me, as an investor who probably has never gone into a car wash, like how do I bridge the gap? That is a real estate deal. And what's, again, what's in it for me? Is it, You said cash flow. So is it a low basis, high cash flow? Like what are you going to do to generate a profit in the car wash? Yeah. So for our model, it is different than other models out there for investing in real estate. A lot of REITs actually invest in car washes because they're buying the land and the law and then they're leasing them back. So that is one piece of how we are going to offer a passive investment for people is owning the real estate. It is single use real estate, but it's basically a triple net lease investment, right? So it's more of a commercial real estate investment. And then by franchising the business, we'll also have opportunity for someone who wants to be a little more active. It's it's a little bit of a barrier to entry, but has the really high opportunity for cash flows. Our kind of avatar is definitely someone who's looking to retire or maybe 10 years out from retiring. They, they don't mind putting in a little bit of work, but maybe only want to work 15, 20 hours a week and own a high cash flowing business and have a 401k or a savings account that they've set aside in order to do something like this. Man, sign me up, folks. All right, we're going to be talking more about this, Andrea. So we'll have Andrea back on the show here in a a few months to see how this is going. 
Andrea, yeah. before we let you go, I got to give you four questions, quattro questions. Are you ready? Right. Let's do it. All right. What is your superpower? Could be life or business. And how does it benefit you? I am very like left and right brained. So I'm very creative, 100% visionary. If you know the EOS book, Traction, but 100% visionary, but I'm also very analytical. I love spreadsheets. I do all of our underwriting. I was a math major in college. So I don't know. I'm very weird in that way that I'm like, I'm both brains and I can see both sides of things. That, I will tell you that is a potent mix and you don't come across it very often. So that's a superpower, <laughs> no doubt. So let's flip the coin a little bit, Andrea. What's your biggest failure? It could be life or business and what'd you learn from it? Mine would be my business, my retail store when I did have to pivot. So it was 2000, end of 2015, my sales started to go down in my store for the first time ever. And I ran my business and I had ordered, owned it almost eight years at that point. Come to find out it was like the online shopping boom, right? Um, people were really starting to shop on Amazon. They were really starting to shop online. And what happened is my industry was made up of all independent like businesses as the manufacturers. So all the manufacturers were small, like small companies. So they all started selling direct to consumer and on Amazon and like doing Facebook ads for their own products and just cutting out retailers. And it's why Toys R Us and Babies R Us went bankrupt. Like they were all, that was our, we had a lot of the same vendors, right? So our vendors crashed our industry on the retail side of things. And so when I realized about six months in that I wasn't going to come back, my sales were the 30% sales I lost were gone forever and I would never get them back. I had to make a big decision to completely change my model or close or go bankrupt. I changed my model to kids resale and we slowly probably took a good year to rebrand, get new, completely new customer base because people... I did keep a lot of the same customers, but I also had to gain a lot of new customers who were not into natural parenting, but would totally buy kids resale clothes. It was an experience for sure. And I learned so much, but I would say the number one thing I learned that relates to real estate is how to manage cash flows. That's huge. And, and, uh, and especially when you're doing construction projects, because you have what's called a controlled burn rate for about two years. That's very important. And wow, that's just an incredible lesson. So many things to say about it, but we've got to leave that one there. Yeah. What is your, you also have a pretty amazing podcast that we didn't quite get to talk to you about today, but let's talk about that. What quick tidbit of what you talk about on that show and where it can be found. Yeah. So it is called Raise Millionaires and it is for anyone with kids or wants to have kids in the future. And it's all about mindset stewardship, financial literacy. So simplifying all of these concepts down so that children can understand them and start living by them so that by the time they're adults, it's just second nature for them. Because my husband and I, we had to learn all these things on our own through personal development, books, growth. Um, and it obviously, if we would have had that mindset much younger, we'd be in a much different place than we are now. So, well, we would have just got there sooner. Let's put it that way. <laughs> And then maybe I would have never washed poopy diapers for a living. I don't know, but maybe. So we only have eight up or no, I'm sorry, seven episodes out right now as of today. But we're, it's so fun. We record it with our kids. They're ages seven to 14 right now. Really great span of different understanding of concepts and how it's fun to see how my 14 year old 
gets it. Whereas like my seven year old, she gets it. But like from a seven year old's perspective, but it's just it's really fun. It's really cute. And I think people will learn things even if you don't have kids and you listen to it. You'll be like, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. Just trying to teach them all the things it's taken us a really long time to learn. That's incredible. And that podcast is Raising Million, Raise Millionaires or Raising Millionaires? Raise. Raise yeah. Millionaires. And and where, where all can we find it? Apple Podcasts and... Uh, yep, everywhere. I yep. think Apple is the only one we're still waiting on like approval, you know, from their platform. But everywhere else, um, it's definitely like Stitcher and Google and Amazon and, and all the places. So. Folks, that is that show is going to explode. I'm so glad you shared it here because it's one thing to learn all this stuff. It's another to try to teach it to your children. So yeah, fantastic mission there. Well, before we part ways, Andrea, fantastic episode. So much cool, so many cool things y'all are doing. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Should they want to reach out and be part of your next project or anything in between? Yeah, well, you can check us out on raisemillionaires.com and then all of our socials related to that. They're all just Raise Millionaires. And Generational Wealth Capital is our website for our real estate deals. And Koala Wash is the name of our car wash franchise. So koalawashusa.com is where you can find our car wash information and it everything's connected and it'll lead back to each other so you'll find all of our other websites on all of our other websites fantastic well andrea thank you so much for coming on the show dropping all these nuggets today talking about all the cool things you're doing in this world and helping everyone to build their financial acumen including your children so thanks for coming on and please i hope you'll accept my invitation to come back on in six months or a year i want to hear an update on all this cool stuff absolutely oh i'm so appreciative of you having me on today want to generate higher return and drive alpha for your commercial real estate firm now you can with lobby cre by 30 capital lobby cre is an asset management platform designed to manage and optimize cash flow for faster returns and more visibility into performance shift your strategy with the market not because of it identify opportunities and mitigate risk now rather than later, and save more than eight hours per week through automation. Click the link in the show notes to learn more and book a demo. All right, folks, that was a super intriguing episode. I really enjoyed diving into the nuts and bolts of what makes a multifamily conversion from hotel work well. And I think if you're doing diligence on possibly investing in one of these, the two key things that I took away were make sure the location is prime for what you're trying to do. Don't go buy a dumpy hotel in a dumpy area. You're going to wind up with a transient tenant problem. Buy an old hotel or motel that can be converted in a good area, close to schools, close to workplaces, close to transit, things that low-income, working hard people, hardworking people need, okay? So check it out. Check out the Raise Millionaires podcast, anywhere podcasts can be found or just scroll down in your show notes and you'll find it there. So folks, if you've got any value out of the show, please like us or subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast, leave us that five-star review, thoughtful comment, share the show. It's the only way to pay it forward and make sure someone else just like you gets the same value you did, okay? This has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. Until next time, over and out, folks. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.